All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Um, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 24. We'll be looking at verses 36 through 44. And uh, as you find your place, just echo what Ryan said earlier. We are thankful for our veterans. We're thankful for how they have served and um, how even some have, have paid the ultimate price so that we can be here this morning, that we can live in a free country and we can freely gather together to worship uh, King Jesus. And so we are thankful uh, for them as well. Well, hopefully you have found your place. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. Uh, it's a shorter passage this morning. So let me read um, this portion of Matthew chapter 24 as we're continuing to, to walk through um, Jesus' second coming. And we've looked at what things won't signal that, what things will signal that. And today we move into some of the other parables and, and really looking at, you know, are we going to be ready for Jesus's return? And that's the main question from this morning. So with that in mind, let me read this passage and then we'll pray and we'll dive in to today's message. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. You bow with me in prayer. God, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to gather as your church, Lord, uh, to open your word and to hear from it. And God, as we open this text today, as we look at this today, as we look at it and we, we meditate on it and we think about it, if we're ready for Jesus' return, that you would make sure that we are ready, God. That if there are those here today who may not be ready for that, that you would ready them. And, if there are, and you would also give others assurance that they are ready. They are ready for your return and that you might send us out on mission as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but, but when I travel by air, I am always worried about my flight being on time, my flight being delayed, my flight being canceled. Fly Southwest. <laughs> Fly Southwest. There you go. A little plug right there. Uh, I'm sure that, that many of you have had some travel horror stories. Even those who fly Southwest uh, may have those travel horror stories as well. Um, it happens, right? You never know if your plane is going to take off, if, when, whatnot. One of my more memorable times, I was not flying Southwest, but one of my more memorable times was, was when, I was, when I was flying back from seminary in Kentucky. It was winter. It was cold. I'd been there for two weeks. I was ready to get home. I was ready to get back to my family. I was ready to sleep in my bed. It was Friday. 
The flight was absolutely packed, as most Friday flights are. There wasn't an open seat on the plane. And, and as we boarded the plane, notifications started popping up on my phone, started popping up on the phones of the passengers around us, saying that this weather was about to come through. Uh, a storm, a, a thunderstorm. And thunderstorms are not good if you're going to be flying because they don't want their ground crew out there to, to help push back. And, and so our hope was that we would be able to get on the plane, that we would be able to push back from the gate in time to get out on the runway and take off before this storm run through or comes through. I mean, we are literally moments away from pushing back and the uh, pilot comes over the loudspeaker and he says... This is your captain speaking. And, you know, you're like, oh, great. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we have a bit of weather coming through, some thunderstorms. We're going to hold tight for a minute. This should, be, this should be done in a few minutes, and we'll be able to, to pass through, or we'll be able to, to push back from the gate. And we heard that message, and we're like, okay, maybe it'll be true. And, and the weather indeed did come through pretty quickly, but just as soon as that got out of range, another storm popped up. And it came through. And it just went like that for hours. And we were sitting on the plane, and eventually they let us uh, deplane and go and sit out, you know, by the ticket counter. And we were out there waiting and waiting and waiting, wondering. And like every, you know, this is airlines, they do this, right? It's like every 30 minutes they'll give you an update, and you're thinking, okay, maybe the next 30 minutes it'll be good. And every 30 minutes we get this text message, this update, and everybody's like, oh man, like, no, not again, like another delay, another delay. And we talk to the captain who is out there and he says, we're going to take off tonight if we can. I really want to take off. Now, eventually, uh, you know, like midnight, and my flight was at like six o'clock in the afternoon, midnight, six hours later, finally get on the plane. We finally get to take off, get home at 2 a.m., drive it home with the windows down. You know, it's late at night. You're trying to keep yourself awake. You know, I'm calling my wife. I'm like, just talk to me on the way home. I know it's midnight, but I mean, I don't want to fall asleep. Um, so we finally, finally get home and finally get there. Now that was unexpected, right? I, I didn't expect for my flight to be delayed when I showed up to the airport that night. I didn't expect to, you know, have to drive home at 2 a.m. in the morning, you know, basically hitting myself so that I don't fall asleep. You know, it was all up in the air. It was just this big unknown. And today's text, it presents us with another unknown. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the king of the world. And not only the king of the world, but Jesus is our savior. We believe he is our only hope, the one that is going to come and is going to set everything right. You see, we know that the world is broken. We all long for, in one way or another, for something more, something better. We all long for a perfect world. And for those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and savior, we all long for the day when Jesus will return, when Jesus will set everything right. And while we all long for that day, the thing is, is that the time of Jesus' return, it is absolutely unknown. Look at what he says in verse 36. And this goes back to his disciples' question earlier, you know, in, in the very beginning of, of 24 and, and really in, in, in 23, um, it kind of sets that trajectory for them to ask, when is all these things going to take place? When are you going to return? And Jesus finally gets to that question when he's going to return. And he says in verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son of man for the father only. He is the only one who knows. 
The time of Jesus' return? Unknown. Jesus himself doesn't know the time of his return. Now that might seem a bit odd, right? I mean, Jesus is going to play a huge role in his return. He's going to be the one who's going to come back. He's going to be the one who's going to set everything right. He's going to be the one who's going to judge the world. Jesus is going to play a huge role in that. But, but Jesus tells us here in his humanity, he does not know the time when he will return. Only the Father in heaven, not even the angels have been let in on this. Only the Father in heaven knows when he is going to return. And so Jesus is basically telling his disciples, look, even if I wanted to tell you when I was going to return, I could not tell you that because I don't know the day or the hour that I am going to return. Only the Father knows that time. And that means that, that those who attempt to date Jesus' return are just simply wrong, right? They have no idea when Jesus is going to return. Jesus, when he walked this earth, did not know when he was going to return. And so no man who is walking this earth now can ever know when Jesus returned. And no matter what kind of secretive code they think that they found in the Bible or, or some sort of televangelist who comes on who's just uber convinced that like this is the date, it is going to happen. On this date, at this time, send me money and we'll all be ready for it, right? Nobody knows. Nobody knows the day or the hour, and so we should not believe them. We don't know when he's going to return. Like, but here's one thing we do know. Jesus will return. I knew that my flight at some point, someday, was going to take off. Uh, It may not have been that night. It may not have been the next day. but, But hopefully, within sometime that weekend, I would have been able to get back home. And so we know that Jesus is going to return. But we don't know. We have no idea when that is going to take place. And so there's no sense in us speculating about that, nor should we ignore the fact that Jesus will return one day, as many people do, right? Because there is no definitive point in history. Many people think, well, I've got plenty of time. I've got plenty of time before Jesus returns. I've got time to change the path on which I find myself. You know, Led Zeppelin, they sing the song Stairway to Heaven, and they present with this idea loud and clear when they say, yes, There are two paths that you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And it makes me wonder. Zeppelin's picture, picture humanity coming together, they picture humanity coming together to create something beautiful, something wonderful, to make this world great, to make this world heaven. While they believed in a perfect world, they sought to find it in an imperfect way, right? No man can make this world in which we live heaven. It doesn't matter how much we come together, how much we do as, as a team together, we cannot make this world heaven. Now, as a church, that doesn't mean that we don't try to push back injustice. That doesn't mean that we don't try to push back evil in this world and wickedness in this world. That doesn't mean that we don't try to, to create right relationships between man and, and creation and, and man and God. It doesn't mean we don't try to do those things. We do. Right? We are to image our creator. And so we are to do that. But, but here's the thing. Nobody can create heaven in this world. We in and of ourselves can't change the world. Only Jesus can change the world and he will change the world. One day Jesus will return and Jesus will set things right. At a day and hour, nobody knows, which means we have no idea whether we have the time to change our mind. We have no idea whether we have the time to change the path that we are on. Today is the day for us to change that path, for us to, to, to change our mind, for us to follow Jesus. We have no idea. But people think they have an idea. People think that they have time. 
And many people are going to be caught off guard when Jesus returns. And Jesus tells us that. In the story of, of Noah, he presents this illustration for us. He's, he's pulling back from the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament was, you know, Jesus' scriptures. Uh, this is what he looked at. This is what all the apostles looked at. And so they are gathering material from the Old Testament. And Jesus is gathering material from the Old Testament. And he's using that as an illustration for, when, for the fact that people will be caught off guard. Look at what he says here in verses 39 and, or 37 to 39, excuse me. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so just, to, just by way of reminder here, Noah, he lived in this corrupt world, in this corrupt society, right? That Adam and Eve in, in the fall of man, we look at that way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we see that, that Adam and Eve, they, they've been given this perfect garden paradise in which to live. That God is, is their God. God is walking with them in the cool of the day. In other words, they have a relationship with God. And God says, I want you to follow me. Let, allow me to determine what is good and what is evil. Follow me. Live according to my wisdom. Things will go well. Things, they decided that they were not going to do that. So they rebelled against God. They plunged the world into sin. Right relationship with man is not good. It's not good with God. It's not good with creation. Everything is messed up. And the world continues to get more and more wicked, more and more evil. And so God decides, I am going to do something. I'm going to wipe everybody out except for Noah and his family. And I'm going to start over with them. And so he says, I'm going to do this with a worldwide flood. I'm going to just, just destroy everything. We're going to have a complete restart. And so God comes to Noah and he says, no, I need you to build me an ark. An ark for you and your family so you will be saved. I'm going to put this worldwide flood. And the only way that you can be saved is to be inside of the ark, this massive boat that's like what, you know, bigger than a football field. And he says, I want you, your family, two of every kind of animal to get in this. And what does Noah do? Noah doesn't laugh at God. Noah is a righteous man. Noah believes God. Noah sets out building this ark, this massive, huge ark that would have taken him years and years and years and years to build. Now, you have to know that, that Noah did not live by a port city. Noah did not live on some huge, massive river. Um, Noah lived out in the middle of the desert. And many commentators believe that it maybe hadn't even rained at this point in biblical history. This mist kind of watered the face of the earth. Whether, whether that's true or not, we're not sure. But, but what we do know is that Noah lived in the middle of the desert. Needless to say, that when people around Noah heard that he was building this massive ark for a worldwide flood that was coming to destroy everything and everyone, except for the people in that ark, I would assume that they laughed at him. They ridiculed him as he went day by day by day building this ark. I mean, this thing took years upon years, decades for him to build. They laughed until that day came. Until that day came when the, when the rain started, when, when the floodgates broke open. They laughed until that day. They went about business as usual 
until that day. Their routines did not change. They did not do anything different. They kept going about business as usual. They went to work, they got married, they raised families, they took trips. They went about life as usual until that day when the floodgates came open. And Jesus compares the story of of Noah and the flood that, that took out the entire world except for Noah and the animals and his family who were in that ark to his coming. People are going to be going about business as usual, just like they did in Noah's day. But when that flood came, no one could escape it. Nobody could get in the ark. The Lord had sealed the ark. Nobody could get in. And just as when Jesus comes, our time to repent, our time to turn to him, our time to admit that he is the king, to submit our lives to him, to believe in him as our Lord and Savior, that time will be over just like it was in Noah's day. Jesus will come at an hour that nobody expects and his coming will catch people off guard, leaving those who are unprepared to face his judgment. And to make everyone, and to make sure everyone understood what Jesus was saying, Jesus comes with a second illustration, the routine of work on a farm. In this illustration, Jesus, he's pictures for us, two people working. Verse 40, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. And then another, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. And Jesus' point again is that while people are going about their normal tasks, doing what they do every single day, he is going to return. And when he does, one will be taken and one will be left. And while this in this illustration, with this illustration, Jesus continues to drive the point home that his second coming will be at a time that we have no idea about. It will happen when people least expect it. People are going to be going about their normal tasks. People are going to be working. People are going to be doing what they do. They're going to be on vacation. And Jesus is going to come. He is going to catch many people off guard, just like the flood did in Noah's day. Now, before we leave these two verses, let me make two more points about these. First, I want to say that this scene, I know that it can be popular, but this scene does not picture a secret rapture of the church. I know the Left Behind series, they, they point to this. I've watched those. I've read that. Um, you know, it pictures these people driving in a car um, and just all of a sudden some people are no longer in the car driving and these cars are driving into other people. The wrecks are happening. All of these things are taking place. And they look to something like this to say that this is a, a, a secret rapture of the church is claimed before the tribulation is going to happen. Jesus can return somewhat secretively. He's going to bring other people out of that. And then later he'll return again. Now, to be fair, it does say some people will be here. Some people will be left. And while that's true, I don't believe that that's what this is referring to, this rapture. I don't believe that because of what we've already learned. If you remember, context is key. It is, it is crucially important that we read the Bible in context. And as we think about that, what has Jesus already told us about his return? And he says, well, my return is going to be by cosmic disturbances. The sun, the moon, the stars, they're going to be dark. And the sign of the Son of Man is going to be in the sky. Lightning is going to be there. He's going to come in great glory and great power. Everybody is going to know that Jesus has returned. It's not going to be a secretive return. It's going to be known by all. It's going to be experienced by all. And along with all those things, Jesus tells us at his second coming, the elect, that that those who are believers are going to be gathered from the four areas, the four corners of the world. 
And then he's going to come in judgment. Not only that, but, but Jesus also tells us what to look out for in the end times, the great tribulation, right? the, the abomination of desolation. He tells us what we're to do at that time. And throughout the, the beginning of the book of Revelation and even throughout, we see that, that Jesus is telling us to be overcomers, to remain firm, to stand firm until he returns, even as we face persecution, even as we face difficulty. And based on what all Jesus has revealed, I don't believe that what this is referring to is a secret rapture. And so if that's not the case, then what is Jesus pointing to in these verses? Well, I believe he's pointing to a clear separation between those who are his followers and those who aren't at his second coming. In both scenes, the field and, and the mill, the, the people are divided. It pictures this clear division of separation between those who are believers and those who are not believers. And that clear separation means that, that it is too late for those who are not believers to turn to Jesus, right? The, the time has ended. The time has come. Now, let me just say, I know people, a lot of folks, uh, maybe that is their theological position. If you want to talk more, I'd be happy to, to, talk, to talk more about what we just went through. But, but at this point, we've got we to gotta move on. And as we do, I want to make one more point regarding these two verses, and that is those who are saved, those who are lost, they work together. And we see that taking place here, right? Two people working together in the field, right? One's taken, one's not. One is clearly a believer and one is not a believer. As, as believers, we intermingle with people in the world. As believers, we work with people in the world who are not believers. And those who are saved, those who are lost work together. And while it might be the case that, that we work among those who are non-believers, oftentimes what Christians like to do is we like to retreat into our holy huddle. But that's not what Jesus pictures for us here, is it? Instead of gathering together in a holy huddle, I believe that what we should do is we should interact with those who are non-believers. We should be engaging them. If we want to accomplish the great commission to make disciples making disciples, well, what do we have to do to do that? We've got to know non-believers. If we want to win non-believers to Christ, we've got to know non-believers. We've got to know them on a relational standpoint, especially in this day and age, right? People don't have language of what it means oftentimes to be a believer. They don't have language about sin and God and, and all of these other things that we take for granted that, that, we were, that we grew up learning and being taught. So we have to start with people at a very basic level and the way that we can do that, the way that we can answer their questions, the way that we can model faith for them, the way that we can be there for them in difficult times and, and point them to Christ and pray for them and, and have Bible studies with them and read books with them is to know them. And so we have to be about the business of building relationships with people. We can't just be in our holy huddle. I mean, think about it like this. If you were to throw down some money a couple hundred bucks to go to the Cowboys game. You're sitting right there on the 50-yard line. You're excited about it. You drive over to Arlington. You fight traffic over there, all of that stuff. You get your parking spot. First kickoff happens. Cowboys receive it. They don't make it that far, but you're like, all right, we're, they're, they're going to get a touchdown. Offense comes out. They get in the huddle, and they never leave the huddle for the first play. Delay a game. Second delay of game happens. Third delay of game happens. Fourth down is there. You're like, surely, surely they've got something up their sleeve here. Delay a game. They got to turn the ball over to the other team. That's not what you went there to watch, right? You went there to watch some football being played. You went there to watch some people 
crashing into one another at full speed and trying to rip each other's head off, right? Like that's what you went there to watch for the Cowboys to win that day. But imagine seeing that. Imagine seeing that happen. That is, that is exactly what we do if we stay in our holy huddle. Sure, it's safe in the huddle. You don't have to worry about an injury. You don't have to worry about pulling your hamstring. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff, right? You're there in your holy huddle with your Christian friends, doing things with your Christian friends, and that's it. And that's okay for a time. That's okay for, for moments. But we've got we've to break out of that huddle, and we have to to go and play offense. We have to go and seek those who are lost. We have to build relationships with them. You see, we're not just turning the ball over to another team who might score on us and we'll lose the game that day. We're turning the ball over to the enemy who is going to score someone else's soul. And so we need to make sure that we are engaging those around us, that we are breaking our holy huddle and we have to know non-believers in order to do that so that we can be like them in the sense that we do the same things they do we kind of look like them we dress like them we work in the same places they work we need to engage them but we got to be unlike them right they need to be able to see what it would look like to live as a christian businessman a christian truck driver you know a christian financier a christian whatever it is that you do people need to see what that looks like And you're the one that God has chosen for them to see that. And we can use those relationships with them to engage people on an everyday basis. And so we see that we not only need to get to know non-believers and engage them with the gospel, but we learn that, that Jesus is going to return at a time that we do not expect. And it's going to catch many people off guard. As well as we see here that Jesus' disciples are to always be ready for his return. Look at what he says in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Jesus tells us, stay awake. Make sure that you are awake. Not literally stay awake, as in like you should never go to sleep ever, but but to make sure that you are ready, that you're constantly ready for his return. We aren't to delay in making preparation at all and say we are to prepare now, we are to prepare this very hour, this very moment, because Jesus could return at any moment. What Jesus tells us goes against the popular idea that many people have that, that, you know what, I'm going to turn to Jesus when I get older. Uh, when I get married, when I have kids, when I retire, when I settle down, at that point, I'm going to return. I'm going to turn to Jesus. I got time. But Jesus, what does he do? He throws that type of thinking out of the window. He tells us that he could come at any moment. We're to be prepared for his return now. We aren't to submit, we aren't to delay in submitting to him as our king. We aren't to try to continue to be the big K king over our life, determining what is right and wrong. We are to turn to God and we are to allow his wisdom to direct us. We are to allow him to be our savior. And Jesus continues to drive this point home with his third illustration, that of the master and the thief in 43 and 44. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus, you notice, he just keeps driving that point home, driving it home. I'm coming at an hour you do not 
expect over and over and again, illustration after illustration after illustration. He really wants us to get the point that he could come back at any point and we must be ready. Like a thief in the night, right? A thief, if they're going to come and rob you, uh, they, don't, they don't send you a calendar request and say, hey, at 2 a.m. on Tuesday night, I'm going to show up at your house and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rob you. Or they don't send you a message before they, they show up and say, hey, I'm at the door, I'm about to break in. No, they don't do any of that stuff, right? They, they come in an hour you don't expect. And they rob you and they take all that you have. And Jesus says, I'm like that thief. I'm going to come at a time when you do not expect for me to come, which means that you need to be ready. And knowing we have to be continually ready, it naturally brings up this question, well, well, how can we prepare for Jesus's return? How can we be prepared for that? Well, well, being ready for Jesus's return doesn't happen by reading the latest book on the time and the date when Jesus is going to return, right? Hopefully that's clear by now. You've seen that, that nobody can predict that. No man can know when Jesus will return. So it doesn't involve that. It doesn't involve involve going to a fortune teller or getting your horoscope read or anything like that. It doesn't involve, you know, being engaged with with another religion or just being a good person. It doesn't involve that. Nobody knows the time. No other religion is submitting to Jesus as the Lord and Savior. You being a good person is rejecting the fact that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life and that you need to submit yourself to him. And so those are not ways that we can be prepared for Jesus' return. And so how can we be prepared for Jesus' return? Well, we submit to Jesus as our Lord and our Savior and we believe in him. And how do we do that? How do we become a follower of Jesus? Well, you believe. You believe that that you are a sinner, that that you are living your life in direct opposition to God, that that you're not just, you know, missing the mark every now and again, but you're you're generally a pretty good person, but every now and again you you commit some sin that that, that is wrong and not right. No, that's not what it means, right? For us to, to, to repent of our sins. We are in absolute rebellion. We are the king who is sitting on the throne of our own hearts. And we are saying, God, I don't need you to tell me what is right and wrong. I got this, right? I'll look at your Bible every now and again and see there's a few things here that I can take, but, but I really, I've got this. That's what it looks like for us to be in rebellion to God. We repent of that and we say, I, I don't have this. I don't, I'm not all wise. I cannot tell you what is good and right and evil. Look at how messed up this world is when man tries to reign and to rule. It is really messed up. There are no right relationships. There's a lot of injustice that is taking place. And we admit that. And we also admit that Jesus is our Savior, that we cannot work our way to the Father, that there is no amount of good that we can do, that even even the, the, the thing that we would call good on our best day means absolutely nothing in God's scorebook, if you will. There is no scorebook. The scorebook is Jesus and Jesus alone and that is it and so we believe that Jesus is the one who is righteous we believe Jesus is the one who has paid the penalty for our sins and we admit that we profess that we proclaim that we believe that we allow that to guide and to direct our lives and how we live each and every single day we submit our lives to him see we must admit that we are a sinner 
And we must believe in Jesus that He is the Lord and the Savior of our lives. And those who do that, they can be ready for Jesus' return. Those who have professed faith in Christ and continue to walk that out in their life, they are ready for Jesus' return. And so as Jesus tells us here, don't get caught sleeping. Prepare yourself for Jesus' return while there is still time. Repent, turn to Jesus, confess your sins, profess Him as your Lord and Savior, and begin following Him. Begin following Him this day, this hour, this moment if you're not. Are you ready for Jesus to return? Are you ready for Him? If He came back right now, would you be ready for Jesus to return? Would you be on the right side of redemptive history and welcomed into his kingdom because he is your Lord and your Savior? That's something that each and every one of us need to consider. That's something that each and every one of us need to think about and we need to look to and say, am I ready? Am I ready for Jesus's return? Don't let your church membership, your coming to church for your whole life or anything like that be the gauge. It is do you believe? Do you profess? Have you repented? That's how we know. And do we continue to do that? Do we continue to believe? Do we continue to confess? Do we continue to repent of our sins, recognizing that Jesus is indeed the Lord and Savior of our lives? And that's how we can respond today. We can respond by readying ourselves for Jesus' return by professing Him as Lord and Savior. And today, if you have already professed Him as Lord and Savior, if you would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you can respond by praising God for the salvation that He's wrought in your life, for praising God for, for keeping you secure in Him, by praising God for Jesus and what He has done on your behalf and how He has won salvation for you. You can also respond by engaging those around you whom God has put in your path, who are those who might be non-believers, and building relationships with them, preaching the gospel in their lives, answering their questions, leading them to Christ. It will take each and every single one of us to do that by using those whom God has put in our lives on a daily basis, praying that he will bring other non-believers into our lives on a daily basis so that to reach those for the kingdom. That's how God works. He works through us and each and every single one of us. And so today is a day to purpose to be one of those folks that, that God can work through. And in a moment, Nathan and the worship team are going to come up they're going to sing a song for us after I pray, and this is an opportunity for you to respond in those ways. If you want to profess faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'll be down here to receive you, to, to publicly celebrate the work that God has done in your life. If you need to pray, I'll be down here to pray. If you want to pray on the altar, that, that will be fine as well. Or just an opportunity to, for you to reflect in your seat, to respond to pray, and to purpose to be used by God each and every single day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity as we have gathered together as your church, um, as we have heard from your word, Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts, that you might apply this text to our lives so that we are people 
who are ready for your return, that we are people who are, who are being used to ready other people for your return, God. Allow that to be the case, Lord. Help us, God, as we seek to serve you, as we seek to, to work where you would have us to work, Lord, to reach who you would have us to reach, God. And Lord, if there's someone watching, if there's someone who's here today who doesn't know you, Lord, we ask that you would work in their hearts now, that you would draw them to yourself now, that you would help them to see that tomorrow may be too late, but today is the day of salvation and that is freely given to those who turn to Christ. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.